So, uh, has anybody in here ever made a disappointing purchase? That, that, I know some, some people are hurting right now, right? Like that, it brings back some bad memories, right? Anybody thought when I made this purchase, this is going to do something for me that it just didn't do? Anybody ever been there? Okay, so uh, I did this once. Uh, I, actually, I take it back. I've done this a billion times. Um, I, uh, I tried to golf um, for a very long time. Um, the people who've <laughs> golfed with me are laughing already. Um, I, I first started, I don't know, in my, in my early 20s, I was like, I should do this because I was uh, working in ministry and that's what pastors do, right? They golf, they do this, they go out together and they golf. And uh, I, I actually, we were, we were married at the point that I bought the, the first set of clubs, I think. And uh, I bought my first set of clubs. I went out and uh, went to a driving range and I sold them the next day. Uh, I hated it. I was like, I'm so bad at this that it's not fun. I hate this game so much. This is the worst game on earth. Uh, I think that that might've even happened twice. And then we were in Knoxville and I, I went and a friend told me, he promised me, he said, man, all you need to do is come with me. If you come with me to this golf course, we need to play a real game. And if you play with me, I promise you'll be okay. I zigzagged my way through 18 holes of walking golf. And I promised my shots were, my score had to be in the thousands. <laughs> and if you don't know, that's really bad. Um, and it, I was exhausted. I was tired. I had blisters. And I was like, I hate this game. Didn't play for a long time. And then I I finally went and played with, uh, if you guys maybe you've met him before, he, he was, uh, we actually got to send him out from Clean Ridge Missionary, Coleman Craig. Uh, this is many years ago, good guy. And he told me to go golfing with him. And if you don't know Coleman, he is, uh, if you think I'm goofy, you should hang out with Coleman. Um, that dude's a nut. And uh, we went out and every bad shot I had, he just laughed at me. And I was like, that, I needed that. I needed to be able to laugh at myself. So we laughed. He'd tell me to pick up and just throw it because I could get it farther, so I did. Um, <laughs> we did all kinds of stuff. And golf became fun because it wasn't so serious. So when it became fun, guess what I thought? Now I'm gonna get good. So I know what's gonna make me good. You know what's gonna make me good? Really good golf clubs. I will immediately go from this amateur, no good guy to a pro with good clubs. Guess what good clubs did for me? Nothing, <laughs> no discernible difference whatsoever. I had these huge expectations for buying these good, like a, they're not great set, but a good set of clubs. And I was like, this is gonna make me awesome. It did not, it did nothing. You know why? It didn't change the golfer. <laughs> My golf clubs did not change my skill level. Now I'm not saying that somebody good enough might, uh, might not benefit from a better set of clubs, but for me, they made no difference because I had, diff I had these expectations that were way too high. Now on a completely unrelated note, um, I do have some golf clubs for sale if anybody's interested. Uh, <laughs> totally unrelated. And it's definitely not because I need to buy a new pickleball paddle that's gonna make my game so much better. <laughs> You see, I had unrealistic expectations, right? I thought buying these clubs were all of a sudden gonna make me this amazing person. I thought that it was gonna make me great and then it let me down so much because I made too much of clubs. I thought the clubs made the golfer and that's not true at all. We're about to study here about somebody who made too much of something. Cornelius, this guy, one of the things he does here in the story, this is one of my favorite parts, I, I, I love this. He makes too much of someone because he thinks so poorly of himself. And we get to see the danger of that, but also the beauty of being told where we can find our value, that it's not in our things or stuff or our status. Our value is found somewhere else entirely. So turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're gonna start in uh, verse 17, which is kind of where we left off last week. So I'm gonna read verses uh, 17 through 22. Now, 
While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. All right, so Peter was perplexed as to what was, uh, what was going on here. And that word means to be puzzled, to be wondering about, to be quite at a loss, to be in doubt or in difficulty. So he was perplexed at his dream. Now, if you remember last week we talked about his dream, there was a big picnic uh, blanket that comes down from heaven holding all these foods that were unclean to eat. And three times God said, hey, Peter, get up here, kill the animals and eat them. And he said, absolutely not. I've never done that bad thing. And God says, don't call what I call clean, common or unclean. And so Peter's sitting here perplexed. He's like, what did that mean? What a strange vision to have. All these animals coming down from heaven that I'm not supposed to eat. God tells me they're clean and good to eat. And so uh, he's perplexed over it. Has anybody ever been in a situation that didn't make sense to you? Have you ever asked the question, how did I get here? Anybody, anybody ever been driving and say, how did I get here? That's a dangerous place to be. Sometimes it's more figurative though. Anybody been, ever been in a relationship and you said, how did we get here? Anybody ever look at someone else inside of a bad place? I heard a no. <laughs> Good for you. I, uh, you've never been married to me. Um, anybody ever uh, looked at somebody that you thought was doing so well and things were going so fine and things looked perfect in their life and suddenly you thought, how did they get there? He was perplexed. Sometimes I think that God will even give us discernment about something that we can't even fully explain, right? Where you see this and you're thinking, I, I'm struggling with this, but I'm seeing something that I can't quite make sense of and I know there's something here. So he's perplexed over this as to what this vision he had seen might mean. The vision was an event in which something appears vividly, incredibly to the mind, although not actually present, but implying the influence of some divine or supernatural power or agency. All right, we talked last week mainly about this, to be a people of prayer. Do you want God to show you things? Be a person of prayer. God is going to be the, so, it's so much uh, quicker, so much easier that the, the time that he shows us stuff is when we're a people of prayer, when we're spending time on our knees in prayer is when we're gonna see things from God. And he says, uh, see, trying to figure out what it had meant, these men show up for, for inquiry. And they showed up at this place asking uh, whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And uh, so they asked him, and so, then it says, while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So pondering, he's sitting here, he's perplexed at first, then he just continues thinking about what does this vision mean? That means to think about something thoroughly and or seriously. When you believe that God has shown you something, think on it. Anybody very, uh, who in here would admit that you're too quick to act and you don't stop and think often enough? Anybody that person? When you think God's shown you something, stop and think. Then weigh it against the word of God. Look and say, like, I feel this. Okay, that's good. Anybody ever had your feelings lead you astray? Anybody ever felt like a third plate at a buffet? I have. Our feelings will lead us astray, so weigh it against God's word and say, is this what I, it, what I think I'm seeing, what I think God's leading me to, what I think he's showing me, does, is this supported by the word of God? 
The reason you do this, the reason you stop and think and pray, and the reason you stop and read the word is because Satan will try to deceive you with your feelings. And it said, the spirit said, and these people are coming. When you're living a life of prayer, the spirit will speak to you. When you're regularly studying God's word, the spirit will speak to you. When you're not doing these things, Satan will deceive you. Be in prayer and be in the word. And it said, without hesitation, he goes down. This is another theme we've seen in Acts. I've talked about this before. God's desire is for our immediate obedience. When he tells us to do something, to immediately get up and go do it. Because delayed obedience is sin. And he says, go meet these three men because I sent them. These men came and inconvenienced Peter. Anybody ever been inconvenienced by somebody showing up? Who in here hates when your uh, doorbell goes off or somebody knocks at your door and you, do, you, and you weren't expecting somebody? Anybody hate that? Some of you people are lying. Um, these guys were sent from the Holy Spirit though, right? All right, let's, let's ask another one just because I want to see just how many people are sinful humans like me. Who in here hates when your phone just rings? Anybody just hate the phone? Like, oh no. Okay. There's at least a few of us in here that are just terrible people. That's fine. I wonder how many times I've missed opportunities because I was too annoyed at the inconvenience. Because here's Peter spending time doing ministry in Joppa. Three guys show up without asking, right? He didn't get letter ahead saying, we're coming, we're on our way, be prepared for us. They show up. Now we know that the spirit is telling uh, Peter this is happening, but still this is an inconvenient deal because he could have said, I'm too busy. He could have told Simon the Tanner, hey, tell those guys like, thanks for coming, but Peter's in prayer. Be my bodyguard on this. But instead he listens to the spirit and he goes. Peter goes down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? So I'm the one who clearly identifies himself. And uh, he does this, it, it makes me think through again with phone calls. When you don't know, when uh, somebody calls and you don't know the number, who in here just ignores the phone call? Just immediately right away. Who in here, if you get a phone call and you don't know the number, you say, hi, this is my name, who are you? That's a hard thing to do, right? Because you're kind of volunteering some information. You might not want to be out there. Well, Peter walks off first thing. He's like, yeah, I'm that guy. What you want? He says, what's the reason? He has direct questions because he's not messing around. He knows the Spirit's doing something. So he goes up and he says, yes, I'm Peter. I'm Simon called Peter. What are you here for? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Now, here's what's interesting. The order that they, that they put these things in, I think they kind of mess up their priorities a little bit. Maybe not, but typically you put the most important thing first in a list, right? When you're saying why you should listen to someone, you're gonna start with something big and say, here's the first reason why you should, you should uh, listen to somebody. So the first thing they say is, Peter, you should know this man's a centurion, okay? He's commanding a uh, hundred troops. He's got worldly station. So you need to be listening to us. The second thing they say is an upright and God-fearing man. So they say, hey, Cornelius has some personal holiness and the whole nation of uh, Israel, we'll get to that in a minute, but he's got some, you know, he walks well, he's, he's, he's a holy guy. So he's also a good person. You should, you should listen. He's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. 
That means they're telling Peter, hey, all you religious people typically like this guy. Lastly, he's directed by a holy angel. So the last thing he lists is, oh, by the way, it's God's word and God's will that you talk to him. So I think they got that backwards a little bit. So when he's directed by a holy angel, God is the one who set this in motion, not man. And he said that God set it in motion for them to send for Peter, to have him come with them to a Gentile's house. And I'm sure Peter's thinking, I'm not supposed to do that. And he says, they want him to come to Cornelius' house to hear what he has to say. So they're saying, hey, you're gonna come with us, go to this Roman Gentile's house and you're gonna speak to us. We don't know what you're gonna say. Can you imagine how difficult this might've been for these guys thinking, we're bringing him back to a guy that we respect and we're supposed to just tell him, hey, come and speak whatever God has told you to say. And that's a hard thing to submit yourself to that, isn't it? Let's keep reading verse 23. So he, invi he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So the first thing he invites them in to be his guests. That word means to receive and show hospitality to a stranger, someone that's not a member of the extended family or a close friend. So this means that you treat somebody that's not a close friend or family member as if they were a close friend or family member. These travelers would not have made uh, would not have made the cut for treatment for this kind of treatment in normal circumstances, right? Because they were, one was a, a, also a Roman soldier. Two of them were people that were servants in uh, Cornelius's house, which means they were also Romans. They would not have been invited to be a part of a, uh, a Jewish household. They were being Romans, they were the worst outsiders to all of Jewish people this time because they were the one and they occupied Israel, right? They were the ones, the controlling nation. Peter should have hated them, but instead he invites them in and says, come be like family to me. But then they get up the next day and they leave and some of the other brothers accompanied. As difficult as this would have been for Peter, at least he had a vision from God and heard directly from the spirit that he was supposed to do this. I believe these brothers would have been accosted by Peter's hospitality towards the Romans and enraged that he would travel with them to Caesarea, the city named after Roman emperors. They're sitting here saying, wait a minute, they're coming to stay with us in this house, they're gonna stay with you? They're gonna spend the night and then the next day after staying in your house, you're gonna go with them to a Roman's house? And you want us to go with you? I think they would have struggled immensely with this because this did not fit the way they had always been raised. Moves on, it says, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. So the fact that they made it within a day, the following day, really leans into the fact that I think Cornelius had provided the, the animals to ride on. I think I mentioned that last week. And he's providing his generosity to, say, to make this trip easier and better for Peter and his followers. So they made this whole trip in a day, it's 30 miles. That's amazing. And it says that Cornelius was expecting Peter. Now that's a, an interesting word. In Greek, it's the word prosdokon. And that means to await with apprehension or anxiety. So it's not expecting is in a, uh, necessarily an exciting expected or expecting is in like, yeah, I knew that would happen. This is a anxiously waiting for something you know is going to happen. So we have to ask a question. Why was Cornelius anxious? And I think the answer is because he had never 
been accepted. He had never been chosen to be a part of this team. He had always been fine at a distance, but never good enough to be close. Anybody ever felt that way? And an angel told him to invite someone to his home who by all accounts should treat him the same way. So an angel tells him, hey, invite Peter over. And Cornelius must be thinking, but the Jewish people, even though they like me from a distance because I believe in their God, I have not done all of their laws. And so they don't accept me as one of their own. Peter's gonna come here and say, I have to stand outside and you stay in there because you're not clean for me to be around. Cornelius must be afraid of this because he's thinking, I mean, even a centurion, even the man of great station has to be thinking, I don't deserve to be around Peter. He's great and I'm nothing and he can't be here and he could shame me. But he called together all of his family and all of his friends. This man was so excited to see what God was doing that he invited all of his family and close friends to be there. Even in his fear that he may still be rejected because the angel did not tell him what God was gonna do. The angel didn't say, hey, Peter's gonna come and accept you. The angel didn't say, hey, Peter's gonna come and give you the gospel. The angel said, hey, send for Peter. He's gonna come and tell you things. Cornelius did not know what the angel was, or what Peter was going to say. Because of what I, what I know happens next, I think that this part of the, this part of his, uh, I think that this part is his pride that Peter would actually come and choose to come see him. And it drives him to invite his friends and family out. He wants them to enjoy in this same blessing and is so humbled and proud to be a part of it himself. So here's what I think Cornelius is saying. Peter, the Peter is coming to my house. This is, this man, like, he is known among the people. He is known among the Jewish people. He's known from being around Jesus. And obviously he, he knows the story of Jesus. We'll see this in a little bit. He knows this and he's thinking, Peter, he's, he's willing to come. And even if he might reject me, I want my family and friends, if, if there's anything he's gonna say, I want everyone to be a part of this. It says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. The word fell down means to fall from standing to an upright uh, or upright position down to the ground, to the very surface. So Cornelius runs to meet Peter as soon as he gets to his estate runs, he's the first one to meet him there. As soon as he sees him, he walks, runs, runs up to him, falls immediately to his knees, and then flat on his face on the ground, bowing himself before Peter right at his feet and worshiped him. We could read this and only see how highly Cornelius regarded Peter. We could think, man, he made way too much of Peter. But I think we'd miss a big part of that. You know, one of the reasons we worship people that we shouldn't is because we have such a low view of ourselves. I think we miss how lowly Cornelius regarded himself, even though he was a centurion, even though he was part of a, uh, th this, this, um, this group that led 600 to 1,000 men. He thought so little of himself that he believed another man was worth his worship. Now he worshiped God, and I don't think he was worshiping Peter as a God, but I think that, and, and it, we see him live out his faith, 
but he was constantly reminded that he didn't belong. And he thought that this placed other people above himself in between him and God. He thought there's good people and I'm not one of them. Peter's a good guy walking with God, doing the right things. And I'm not even willing to go through the ritual of, cir of circumcision to be a proselyte because I just can't. And he thought this makes Peter better than me. He thought between he and God because he was so much less valuable than they were. So he sees Peter walk in and he thinks there's somebody that God likes more than me. There's somebody that God truly enjoys. There's somebody that God really loves and really loves God and they're better than I am. So he falls at his feet and he's like, man, Peter, I just wanna be like you. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. I love this, he lifted him up. So Cornelius fell at Peter's feet thinking that he had so much less worth and thinking that Peter was worth so much more than him. Peter in seeing this reaches his hand down and pulls Cornelius up to his feet, touching an unclean Roman Gentile, pulling him up and standing him up in front of him. In this act, Peter is showing Cornelius dignity, value, and love that he never saw in himself. But it's not Peter who's giving this gift, right? Peter might be the one reaching down and helping him stand up, but he cannot give value or dignity or worth to another human. Only God gives value to people. Church, we are created in the image of God. Every human on earth is. And if you have faith in Christ, you are forgiven, clean, and adopted as God's own child. You are so much more than your job, your skills, your money, your achievements, or your influence. You are so much more than your failures, your brokenness, and your struggles. You have value because God says you're valuable. That's why you're valuable. And Cornelius couldn't see that. All he could see was, here's Peter, who's a good guy. Here's me. I'm a bad guy. I won't do the right things. He's valuable and I'm not. And in this being lifted up, what he's getting to see is God saying, you have value, not because anybody in the world says you do, because I say you do. And then here's Peter responding in such a beautiful way. Cornelius is bowing at his feet. Anybody think it would have been tempting for Peter to say like, this feels good. I've worked hard. I've left my, I'm traveling everywhere. I'm living at a, a, a leather maker's house. It stinks. I'm having to, to do, go around, do all this ministry. I'm having it like, this is hard work. And you know what? Somebody finally appreciating me for showing up, good. I've been beaten, I've been imprisoned. Here's somebody that finally thinks that they're happy I'm here. But he doesn't. He says, get up. We're both men. He says, we're the same. What he's telling Cornelius is I'm not a worthy, I'm not a worthy object of worship. Just like you're not Cornelius. You're not more or less worthy of worship than I am because we are created beings. We only worship the creator. Church, how often do we waste our worship on unworthy people or things? How many times do we lift 
someone up on a pedestal and think, man, that person is the stuff because we think they're better than us. And we might not call it worship, but let's be honest, it is. We lift them up in this esteem and say, that person, man, if, if I could be like them. Do you know the people you idolize don't want to be themselves either? If you were to ask that person, are you happy with who you are? They'd say, of course I'm not. I wish I was like this person. So we're idolizing people that aren't even comfortable with who they are. How many times do we worship things that we think will give us the value that only God can? If I just had this job, if I just made this money, if I just had this relationship, then I would feel so complete and whole and good. You won't, it's a lie. Because nothing on earth is worth your worship. And nothing on earth is ever going to give you value that can only come from Jesus Christ. And as he talked with him, he went and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has not shown me that I could not, that I should not, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So I love it. He's talking to Cornelius. He has this moment where he's, you know, Cornelius bows at his feet. It might've been jarring to Peter. Like, what are you doing, man? Get up, quit. This is weird. But he doesn't call him weird. He doesn't shame him. He grabs him by his hand and pulls him up and says, man, we're men together. I'm not more valuable than you are and I'm not worth your worship. And then he looks up and he notices Here's everyone else. All of Cornelius' friends and family are all there. He found all these many persons. Peter had been focused entirely on Cornelius, on helping him see his own value in God and God's sole position as worthy of worship. Now he sees all the family and friends that Cornelius had brought with him. And he says, hey, you guys know the rules. They were all very aware of the, ways that, of the way that the Jews interpreted the ceremonial laws of cleanliness. This law is a hard one to find in the Old Testament about not being able to actually interact, but they had a very strict interpretation at this time. And that meant you had nothing to do with a Gentile at all. They knew how the Jewish people lived this out. He said, hey guys, you know the rules. And I'm sure they had never been visited by a Jewish person before, especially not in their own home because what was clearly indicated was, we are better than you. And they lived, even though they believed in God, they loved God, they were still Gentiles and they were still less than the good religious people. I'm sure nobody in here has ever felt that way. But he said, you know the rules, you know I'm not supposed to be here but God has shown me something different. This didn't come from Peter. This isn't something he just decided. This is something that God declared. He said, do not call any person common or unclean. The value that God used Peter to give to Cornelius, he now, gives him to, uh, he now uses him to give to all of these people. Each of them just heard something unbelievable. What they got to hear, his, all of his friends and family heard this one thing. You have every bit as much value in God as the very people that you've always thought were better than you. 
And that phrase and this movement, as we're going to see next week of God saving a Gentile, enraged a lot of religious people. And I think we can still struggle with that today, can't we? When people walk in that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't dress like us. And we can very quickly look down and think, you can come, but you're not one of us. And we, f- we should feel shame for that, church. Because the people that we might look down on thinking we're better than them were created in the image of God. And each and every one of them was worth the death of Jesus Christ on a cross in pursuit of their salvation. The people that we think are not worth our time, God cares infinitely for. How dare we consider ourselves better than anyone else? He then says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. That word objection means pertaining to that which cannot be spoken against. Peter came without objection because God made this indisputable. You will go to Cornelius's house because what I've called clean, you're not gonna call unclean. How often do we object or even refuse to go when God calls us to love the unlovely? How often do you object or refuse to believe that God has called you worthy of love? Anybody in here ever had shame make you feel like you're not worth love? Your value does not come from your choices. Your value does not come from your station. Your value does not come from your position. Your value does not come from your achievements. Your value comes from the fact that God in heaven created you. And if you believe in Christ, your value then gets exponentially increased by being a child of God. That's your value. And no one has any more value than you do. And no one has any less value than you do. He wraps this section up by just saying, all right, people, I came, I showed up. The spirit told me to come. God showed me a vision. I came to your house. You sent people to come bring me. Why am I here? Why have you sent for me? I love that God didn't give Peter the entire story before he left. I love it. Anybody hate not having the whole story? Anybody hate having partial directions? Me too. Hate it so much. Whenever uh, we're trying to decide where to eat, um, Ashley's going to laugh in a minute. If, uh, if I know we're supposed to eat, but I, know, I don't know where we're going, I will park anywhere I am because I hate just driving without knowing where I'm going. I hate it so much. But God loves to do that to people, doesn't he? So we don't have control. So we have to just do what he says. He sends Peter and he says, hey, go and just be there. And I'm sure Peter's thinking, why? And God says, you'll see. So he asks them, First, he does, he does his right thing. I mean, he lifts, Peter, he lifts Cornelius up and he tells the people, hey, God's not made you unclean. You're, you're a people of value because you're made in the image of God. But then he's like, all right, so why am I here? He sees that God doesn't see these Roman Gentiles as unclean, but he still doesn't know what God wants to do with them. He still has no idea what God actually wants to do. So he asks Cornelius, what do you have me here for? And I love that. 
Because think of how many times God might be calling you just to go somewhere and you don't go because you're like, I don't know what to do. You're not supposed to always know what to do. Just go. And we're going to continue this story next week. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? First of all, I want to ask this from the first part of this passage. Are you praying and studying the word to hear from the Holy Spirit? Or are you relying on your feelings more than God's word? As you answer those questions, I think you also have to answer this. What are you going to do about it? Second of all, do you understand the value that you have in God as a person, as a human created in his image? And if you're somebody who has faith in Christ as one reborn into his own family, one of his children, do you understand the value that every human has as a human created in his image? And do you see the unlovely as people that God loves? Last question. Are you wasting your worship on unworthy things? Are you trying to find your value, your purpose, your position, and things that can never give it to you? If you've done that, like me, will you take time this morning just to confess it and repent from it and say, God, you're the only one worth my worship. Jesus, I pray you call us to respond and worship to you today. That we would worship the only being, the only person, the only thing that is worth our worship, that is you, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the savior of the world, and the spirit who draws all to you. Christ, help us to worship you. Help us to stop wasting our worship. Help us to be a people that are a people of prayer and of your word. And help us to be a people in pursuit of others with the gospel. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand and respond however God leads you.